This podcast is made for people like you. Thank you for being there. Welcome to the GMS Magazine podcast, episode 434, a podcast about the people who make and the people who play tabletop board games and role-playing games. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and today I am joined by Chris Diaz. In this episode, Chris and I are going to talk about dinosaur games, and I bring you a few reviews. I review Tetrarchia and Ninja Squad. We really hope that you will enjoy it. If you would like to participate or sponsor this podcast, or if you would like to send us your questions or comments, or even your games for review, get in touch. You can email me on podcast.gmsmagazine.com or find me on Twitter as at gmsmagazine. Chris is at dsxmachina. And please, please, please leave a review about the podcast in whatever platform you happen to listen. It really helps a lot and it means even more to us. Thank you. Uh, hi, Chris. <laughs> Starting with the yawn. You uh, <clears throat> make me on now. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Hello, how are, how are you? Ooh. I'm good. I'm 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 perky. <laughs> One my, of uh, us my, is. <laughs> my my dear wife, however, is completely passed out because uh, she had blood taken today, so she's very much uh, kind of out of it. So she's asleep uh, in the bedroom. So. I'm not I, the only one who's tired. No, no, you're not. And I, I haven't had any blood drawn today, but I do feel like it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's been a long day. Uh, but no Tuesday is Tuesday without recording Tuesday or something like that. So well, we, we have to we have to record because, you know, this is our duty to the community. So that our, our biggest fans, mom, can can always tune in. I know I have news. I I have I have actually news because we have had an email with good things said to us. Somebody called Saul Morales. Hi, Saul, uh, or Saul, I should say, Saul Morales, since I can pronounce it properly. Um, about my interview with uh, Black Void, a creator, a great episode, Paco, yay! I really liked how you got into some of the details of the Black Void RPG. I had interviewed Christopher a while ago about his Black Void RPG, but it was not as polished as yours in getting some of the details about the rules and setting. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh my God, I'm blushing now. Uh, seriously, Christopher is a super nice guy. That is completely and utterly true and I am glad that he and his game are getting more attention and more attention they should get because uh, truly fantastic he was very gracious with his time being interviewed by me and my wife for a very humble podcast hey that doesn't exist all podcasts are amazing well most yours is amazing glad he's getting the attention of a podcast with a large audience my podcast as a large audience oh my god Saul you're wonderful great job all around Paco thank you thank you Saul you're wonderful and I absolutely adore you and one day I am one day I am going to buy you drinks because I truly and even though I'm reading this in kind of a jokey way but it is truly and genuinely appreciated that it means 
the world. Yeah, people post comments, post it on Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, email, whatever it may be. And, uh, and, and regardless of whether or not it's positive or negative, you might find itself on the air. Yes. And you know what? The likelihood, don't worry if it is negative. You can say it. You can tell us whatever you want because the likelihood is that we're not going to give a shit anyway. So by all means, do say whatever you want. Oh, yes. We'll either uh, thank you or shame you. Yeah, or ignore you. That, <laughs> that's also a possibility. Okay, today we're going to do two things, two absolutely wonderful things. We're going to do some reviewing for the first time ever. We're going to do, the two of us, some reviewing. Uh, and we're going to talk about dinosaur games. Um, because I know, I only know one dinosaur game and I haven't played it yet. So, so which one is that? Fossilis. Ha! That gotcha. I think I've heard of a game. I think I've heard of a game called Fossil or Fossilis. Fossilis. Fossil. Yeah. Fossil. No. Uh, finished Fossil. Finished in uh, IS. Fossil S. Uh, and it's a game that came onto Kickstarter a little while ago, and I only backed it, I didn't have any money, but I thought, oh my god, this sounds very interesting. Um, so I backed it because you actually have to dig to get fossils, uh, bones and remains, and then you win the game somehow. Uh, but I haven't played it. Yeah, I haven't played it. Uh, I did the unboxing, and it looks very cute. I have to say, it looks really, really well, nice. Well, the 3D elements are uh, are definitely interesting, are fascinating. See, um, but I I haven't played it because, to be perfectly honest, uh, the rules look a lot more intimidating than I hoped they were going to be. So um, I, I haven't brought myself to read them and bring them to the table and play it because I tend to forget the rules and then. We just invent them as we go along. Mm. Everyone does that, does it? Well, uh, it depends on the game. <laughs> that's another. That's another complicated topic. My 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 relationship between the rules as presented and then you know whether or not they're fun or not, and whether or not I have to homebrew a game to make it fun. Well, I am going. To, I could talk about that about the way that the rules are explained and the way that the rules should be explained. And from the point of view of an instructional designer that I am, uh, I can tell you that most companies should hire instructional designers to write the rules and to help them. Because more often than not, they are absolutely atrocious, really atrocious. Yeah, so, yeah. Unfortunately, we, 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 I mean, some games we just, we were just talking uh, two weeks ago with Ignacia and his, his titles, like his more beefier mechanical titles, are unfortunately notorious for being um, somewhat uh, intractable in their rules presentations. Yes. Uh, you know, First Martians was famous. I think First Martians, the lack of uh, First Martians' success compared to Robinson Crusoe, I think can be directly tied to its manual so much so that uh, fans, you know, fan, uh, fan had to recreate the manual to make it easier to learn because it was so difficult to understand. And the fact that Rodney had to do two videos and like 45-minute playthrough to properly explain what's going on, it shows you like, the game The game isn't terribly hard to learn, but it's, it's just the way the rules. In fact, Nicole and I were just playing a game, uh, which I'm, I'd like to talk about uh, in a future episode, which was uh, Kingdom Rush, and the rules were so atrocious, we played the game twice and we were still missing out and misunderstanding rules. And in a cooperative game, that could be, I could spill murder if you're not careful. 
True. I'm just going to throw a hint and a tip to people out there. If you read the rules and learn a game and you explain the game in a different way than the rules were written, that is the way that the rules should be written. Simple as. So don't, 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 don't think that just because you've written the rules, that's the right way of doing it because now that's, that's bollocks. Um, and more often than not, we explain the games in a different way than the rules have been written. But anyway, that's that's for another episode. Let's uh, shall we do the um, dinosaurs first, or shall we do sure, the reviews first? Yeah, we, we we can talk dinosaurs. I got stuff to talk about. Okay, we have twenty minutes. <laughs> Otherwise, this well, episode is going to go on forever, and I'm tired. Okay, okay, all right. So the important thing about for me when it comes to dinosaur games is, and this is an interesting observation, and uh, whenever I look at Board Game Geek, whenever a game is rated uh, an 8 or higher, I generally consider that game to be great, a great game. When it's between a 7 and an 8, I think that's a, a, generally a good game. And if it's below a 7, I generally will look into the reviews to see what, like, what's the issue. What do people have problems with? Because despite what most people think that you know a 5 should be a pass, that should be an okay game. Nowadays, it's like unless it scores a 7, I'm not going to generally look at it because there's so much voting manipulation. I need to take a look and read the actual reviews. So with dinosaur games in general, one thing I was uh, I was observing that there are virtually no dinosaur themed games that rate over an eight on uh, uh, on Board Game Geek. What I thought was very very I thought that was fascinating, and. There seems to be two approaches to making these dinosaurs. Well, three approaches, really, but it comes down to just two. One is you're making dinosaurs or you're running the park. And the third type is, you know, something to deal with being predator or prey or, or, or eating or eating people or what have you. But that seems to be, uh, for me, a good dinosaur game is going to be something that feels thematic to what it what it is mm -hmm. and like you were talking about this game uh, fossilis which is definitely purely thematic because you are digging uh, you know tiles to to recover fossils when that's really really cool and uh there's a bunch of other ones there's a game called evolution mm -hmm. now evolution is a game that i own and that's a game where uh players are creating animals by playing down cards, and then this animal is represented by uh, how well it reproduces, whether or not it's a carnivore or a herbivore, and you give it certain traits. Then you take it to a watering hole, you try to get it to reproduce, and you try to make it successful. Then somebody else could, of course, create a predator. That predator survives by eating other characters' dinos other characters' animals. So it's a very interesting game because it's going to be entirely dependent on which players are coming to the table. If you don't want you your your, your your animals to be eaten, then you generally don't want to play with people that are going to go aggressive and constantly. That also being said, if everybody makes carnivores, then everybody dies because there's no herbivores to eat. So if you have a carnivore on, on the table, you have to then hope and assume that everyone else is going to be herbivores, that you can create that balance. So it's a fascinating game because it encourages that balance. But it's also a game where you can succeed just as easily by employing just herbivores that just reproduce. 
But the only issue with that is if you're not careful, there may not be enough food in the watering hole to keep your species alive. Is so that, it's a very fast. Sorry, does the game have an app? There, there's a, there are a couple of games that are like that, but this one's called Evolution. I think that game, uh, it just what you're explaining rings a bell. And I think it has an app. I'm going to look at it very, very quickly. Uh, in the Play Store. Uh, because I remember playing a game that feels very much like what you're describing, and I hated it. Well, there is an evolution app. Uh, there is a game, uh, certain, uh, which is definitely based off of the board game because the artwork's still the same. The artwork is very colorful. It doesn't necessarily include uh, dinosaurs, but dinosaurs can definitely come as a, uh, as a result of this. Is it, There's a couple. Is it by North Star Games? It is by North Star Games. And then there is an app, and I hated it. <laughs> I can't well, remember I actually, why I hated it, but I played it once. And I thought, oh, my God, this is... I followed the tour, and I thought, I, I really don't want to play this anymore. What the hell is this? So I may have to go back to it. Sorry, maybe I was having well, a bad day. There's always, like, for example, I mean, there are certain games where they the app is better, and sometimes where the app is inferior. Like, I... like. There's a game called Oniram, and the app is superior to the card game just because it's a much faster turnaround. Agreed. But I was never a, I'm never a huge fan of the Pandemic app because I find it a bit more restricting. I haven't tried it. So, yeah, so that's evolution. And oddly enough, um, there are some people who, who dislike it. I think, I think evolution is a very, very good game. And its uh, side sequel, Climate, uh, has a few better reviews. Then there's a game that's seemingly very similar called Evo. It came out in 2001. Mm -hmm. That one's more directly connected to dinosaurs. It trend, it's trending at about a 6.9. So that that's below the point where I usually have to do research to see whether or not it's a good game. Uh, but it's also a game that employs auctions, and, and uh, my wife doesn't really like auction, which is where you basically spend resources to pick up... You, know, you, you spend resources in order to get things in order to make your dinosaurs better. Uh, that came out in 2001. Uh, a, a relatively popular game is a game called Raptor. That's one of the few ones where you're actually playing uh, as a dinosaur that is running amok, killing people. So that one's, that was a pretty... That was Bruno Catala and uh, Bruno uh, Faduti. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. probably pronouncing that, that uh, quite badly. But uh, those are two very well-known designers. That's running at about a 7.3. Uh, there are, of course, not one, not two, but uh, probably four or five games based off of Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. None of these are particularly value, very well received. Uh, Jurassic World, the board game, is probably the only one that's cooperative. And it's been kind of explained as being very childish. Uh, there's also a Jurassic Park Danger, which is a one versus all and that means one person's playing as the dinosaurs and everyone else are playing as people that are trying to escape the park. Uh, and that so, one, I am generally not a fan of one versus all, but there have been a couple exceptions. This one's directly connected to the Jurassic Park franchise, so you have all the characters and then the actors playing in them as well. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just very weary of uh, franchise games. They tend to be rubbish. So I, I look at them with a Suspicious, suspicion. Yeah, I'm afraid. Sorry, I'm a cynic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we have a game which I, which is interesting, called God's Love, 
gods love dinosaurs. Uh, I, it's running at 7.2. I've, I've heard about this title. I've not played it. And how do you make an ecosystem flourish with just enough of every life in the chain uh, to supply you with dinosaurs to dominate the lands? Uh, once again, it's very beefy in components. It's a smaller game, but uh, it's tile-based. I haven't played this one, but it's done by Pandasaurus, and you'll hear them pop up more than once in this conversation. Uh, they're called Pandasaurus. You think that they would do a lot with dinosaurs, and you're right. Uh, there's a game called Triassic Terror from 2013, done by Eagle Griffin, and I generally really like Eagle Griffin, yes. but that's generally when a Pacific designer is associated with them. Triassic Terror is, has not gotten very good reviews. It's turning, turning at about a 6.9, and it's been generally described as being relatively ugly. Uh, we were talking before the video began about uh, the Tiny Epic series by mm -hmm. Skald Alms and Gamelin. They do have a Tiny Epic dinosaur game, which is uh, kind of compared to being another, uh, you're dino ranchers and you're in the dinosaur farming industry. So it's another situation where you're trying to create dinosaurs. And then we have a Lost Valley of the Dinosaurs. And this is back from 1985. Wow, okay. I that's think that's the game. oldest game. And it's, uh, it's, it's, and because of that, it's got, uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's one of those big map hex based games. And, uh, and oddly enough, the highest rated game on board game geek that's, re that's revolving around dinosaurs is a Jurassic park game, but it's part of the unmatched series in gen versus Raptors Jurassic park. And I think the reason why this game is popular isn't because it's good is because it's one of the few games that has fully rendered miniatures. Most of the previous games usually have cheap plastic or they have wooden meeples. But the unmatched Jurassic Park uh, does actually employ, it, it, it is a traditional combat game. And as a result of that, I think it's a bit more popular. Which uh, finally brings us to uh, going back to Pandasaurus. They've got not one, not two, not four, not five, not six. Actually, it is five. I think like five games in this field and and they and they all revolve around uh, their dinosaur island series now i these games are very interesting because the most of them trend at about 7.5 7.7 and the criticisms people have to the dinosaur island games is that there is a lot to them dinosaur island is the first one i i acquired i know that tom spoke it to death it was one of his favorite games that came out that year it is a fantastic fantastic worker placement game as long as you understand that it is one of the most it's easy to learn but it's complex because you have to not only acquire dna you also then have to acquire the specialists and then you have to create the park by building the buildings making the dinosaurs from the dna you've acquired and then putting them in your park and then you also have to create the security to make sure that your dinosaurs don't eat uh, the patrons. So it very much encapsulates Jurassic Park in this very weird early 80s neon fluorescent uh, aesthetic. It has these bright pink and yellow and green colors. The dinosaurs are all hot pink and, and green. <laughs> um, very interesting art style. But, like it, 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 but it's also, as I described to people, it's like three games in one. And there's three different boards, which means it has probably the largest presence of any board game I've ever played. Because you have a board where you roll um, a bunch of dice, 
and these give you certain symbols that give you DNA. And then using a, cer using a certain number of meeples, you can acquire the DNA by placing your meeple next to the die. Or you can get a dinosaur template. And then the next phase of the game, you're, not, you, you're, you're then spending meeples again in order to acquire either basic buildings, paddocks, or you're, building, or you're buying one of these specialists to make the game easier. And then you have a bunch of completely separate minis that are separate from the first one. So you have two different sets of minis. One they're workers, ones look like little um, beakers. And these guys you, you place on your own, which is a very unique aspect of this game because the first two parts of the game, you are interacting with players using the, the scarcity of resources, where I'm getting this so you don't have, so you can't. But the last phase of the game is an entirely solitary experience where you are basically placing meeples on your own board to activate certain things, to make dinosaurs, to spend DNA, put dinosaurs in your park, up your security. And at the end, you reach into this bag, you pull out fistfuls of little tiny patron meeples, and then you place them all over your map to, you know, okay, th th this one's going to go to the paddock here and so forth. And it's a very fun experience, and you might pull out a hooligan, which doesn't get you any points. And then you have to check and see if your security is high enough. If your security is not high enough, the dinosaurs go loose and kill and eat patrons. And then you score points based on how many patrons remain. It's, it feels a lot complicated than it is, but because the game is segmented into these three little mini games, you're kind of concentrating on one at a time. And one aspect about the game I do enjoy is the fact that there's so much variety. And you can have people that create a very powerful park and they're not making a lot of, they're not uh, generating a lot of income because their their patrons keep dying, but you can still generate a lot of points because you still have, you might still have the better park. So it's got this very cool aesthetic mm -hmm. going. There's dozens and dozens of different dinosaurs you can make. Um, Nicole and I, my wife, we definitely love games where you're building something, engine builders, uh, deck builders to an extent, but if you have a map where you're building something that's yours and regardless whether or not you win or lose you have a constructed park and go well this is my park uh, one of the things i like about the expansion dinosaur island came out with a special edition called totally liquid which gives you a bunch of new options gives you water dinosaurs and so forth uh, is that you can get a a a, a mega a mega raptor which oddly enough predates uh the second movie uh or sorry the new world jurassic world but there's this gigantic, gigantic singular dinosaur, and you get this giant mini you put on the board, and you have to create so much security because this thing will run amok and kill people if you're not careful. And it's so it's cool. You create the situation. You could have a petting zoo where you just have little tiny baby dinosaurs that don't generally lay a lot of uh, a lot of uh, security. They don't generally get you a lot of points, but they're good with the kitties. So there's a lot of really interesting things with Dinosaur Island, but the, the general consensus with criticism is the fact that it has this very weird color palette. If you look at the box, for example, it there's there's the dinosaurs are 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 neon blue or fluorescent red. Even the people are kind of off color in their skin. It's a very colorful, but it's so Jurassic Park. It is totally trying to be Jurassic Park. Even the first player marker is a mosquito in amber for example <laughs> so it, it it absolutely is tapping on that and uh then they came out with a two-player ver version a two-player version called doulasaur island 
which removes a couple of the elements and makes it a faster game for two people. I am generally not a big a fan of this one because I love Dinosaur Island so much that if I'm going to play it with two people, I might as well play that over Dulosaur. And we were going to sell it, and my wife decided she didn't want to sell it because she felt that it had its own appeal. There are a few rules that are, are very different. Uh, and Dinosaur Island has fewer reviews, and it's definitely a distillation of Dinosaur Island, which is Dulosaur Island. Uh, I think it's a good game, but I don't think I would buy it if you want, if you already have Dinosaur Island, you don't really need Dulosaur. If it, if you get it, you know, and it's included. It's not a very good travel game. It has a smaller box. You can see it behind me. It's a smaller box, but um, it uh, it it doesn't have a very small footprint. I think a, a, a travel game should have a small footprint as well as being a small box. Then about a year ago, they came out with a brand new title called Dinosaur World. Mm-hmm. Obviously, tapping on once again the movie. The color palette shifted, so it's not as freakishly garish as the first one was. And now, instead of creating a park where people walk through, you're actually creating a very large park with with uh, hexagon tiles. And the big distinction with this game is that you are no longer pulling tourists out of a bag. Uh, they're just kind of more invisible. But now you create tours using the vehicles, which is something interesting that... Um, it takes an element from the first Jurassic Park, so now you have what is called a, a jeeples, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a term I absolutely hate. And this jeeple, you, you take this jeeple and you drive it across your park, trying to generate "quote unquote" excitement. The games are very similar. So if someone were to ask me, what would I get, Dinosaur World or Island? If you can handle the color palette of Dinosaur Island, I think that's a better game because there's just so much more to do. Dinosaur World, however, I do think is shorter. There's more of a solitary element to Dinosaur World. Um, when we play, my wife and I, we very seldom ever interacted. We, there was very few occasions where we ever did anything that we were kind of messing each other over. Unlike in Dinosaur Island, where there's a little interaction, in Dinosaur World, there's very little interaction. But I don't have a problem with that. Some people do. They want to be able to take that. They want to be able to hurt other players. You can't really hurt other players in Dinosaur World. There's very there's plentiful resources, so there isn't a lot of times where you're doing something that's screwing somebody else. The issue with Dinosaur World is it has a lot of components, and some of them are very, very small. And uh, there's this rule where if you visit an exhibit, it becomes less powerful. So every time you visit it, it generates you fewer and fewer points. But that gets manifested in these very, very tiny tokens, which if you're not careful, you will lose. So I would say I think I, I prefer Dinosaur Island in the longer stretch if you have a long time to play it. It's also really good in two or three players. I think Dinosaur World is also a very good game. Uh, and that finally leads us to a game called Dinosaur Island Raw and Right. So it's raw and right. Uh, I was not a f- I, for the longest time. I was not a fan of Roland Wright games, mm-hmm. and they got massively huge about two years ago, where there was like twenty, thirty Roland Wright games coming out. Everyone had to have a Roland Wright, so every game franchise is coming out with their version of a Roland Wright. And so Dinosaur Island, when they uh, made Dinosaur World last year, they came out with a Dinosaur Island Raw and Rar and Wright, which is a Roland Wright version of the original Dinosaur Island. 
So every, everyone gets two pads of paper with all these indications on it. It gives you two big um, stacks so you can play this game probably a hundred times. So no problem there. And it actually has a pretty small footprint, smaller than Dulosaur Island. And same thing happens. You're rolling dice, you draft your dice. Then after that, you place your dice on this action table. And where you place that action can make it more difficult for the other player to complete that action. Once you've done those things, you're checking things off or you're drawing now the, your dinosaur island onto this grid. And so the, so the vast majority of the game is you drawing in and creating your park, making roads to connect it. And then you'll do a tour and you'll draw a tour through your park. And uh, I was not, I did not have very high thoughts, I, I, you, know, you know, really good opinion on Roland Wrights. After playing the Rarin Wright Dinosaur Island, it is one of my favorite experiences in this genre. I've only played it a couple of times, and I've played the good ones, people say, and this has got to be probably the best in the genre. I love all the customization that you can do. Uh, I love the fact that um, there's more interaction, but not really a lot, not a lot of antagonistic uh, uh, interactions. And yeah, I think. It's it's a fantastic game. It's different. It's a much better a game than uh, Dulosaur for travel. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you say if you were to pick two games, I would say Dinosaur Island and then the Roll and Ride Dinosaur Island. I think those are, those are the two best games in the in the series. Dinosaur World, I think, is got it's more polished. It's a bit more mature. It's got a bit more better production value. If you can handle the color palette of Dinosaur Island, though, I think that's a better game. But uh, if you get the totally liquid, though, boy, are you spoiled because you get something like 100, 120 or so plastic dinosaur meeples. You get a bunch. Um, and then with Dinosaur World, they literally they painted them so you can literally identify the dinosaurs on, on the little minis. And they give you a bunch of plastic minis with little images on them. So there's a lot of cool, meaty components. And the thing I like about the, the dinosaur games that, that Pandasaurus puts out, that they're very thematic. Like, you know you're doing a dinosaur game. People say, well, you know, dinosaurs aren't doing anything. I go, no, you're, you're making the dinosaurs. You're putting them into a park. You're pulling out patrons. I think it's because the dinosaurs aren't moving along a map, actively traveling and eating people. Some people seem to have an issue with it. I don't. I absolutely love dinosaur, uh, the Dinosaur Island games. The Roll and Wright probably might be the most, the most underappreciated because I think it's, it's going to fall under the radar compared to Dinosaur World or the original Dinosaur Island. Uh, but yeah, if you it, it, that it, it's an interesting genre, the fact that there aren't a lot of um, well-reviewed games, but I think the reviews for Dinosaur Island are for some reason. There are some people that have issues. They're putting low reviews because they don't seem to like Pandasaurus as a company. Mm -hmm. They don't really like Apple Day. Uh, and then they also complain because these games don't have a lot of interaction. It's not like an Ameritrash game. We are constantly screwing over the other players. In all of these Pandasaurus games, there is very little interaction, but there's a lot more enjoyment. If you are solitaire or you're a person that likes low interaction where you get to create something like a park, at the end of the day with these uh, with the Roll and Write, you have a drawn map. You can name it and go, this is my park. Mm -hmm. um, it's all that that i'm also particularly good at these games I, I win more than i lose so it's a fun experience we just played raw and right just yesterday and uh i won that one uh, by two points which i thought was uh, a very close call so it wasn't like i dominated my wife but it was um 
uh, it was definitely an enjoyable experience. But yeah, there's a lot of dinosaur games on the market. And it's it's interesting that none of them have ever blown people out of the water as being amazing. But I think if you look at the board game geek score, it doesn't give you a proper manifest, uh, you know, reflection of what these games are. I think the Dinosaur Island games are fantastic. And if you get a chance to see the um, the Roll and, Write, Roll and Write game, I would definitely give that a whirl. If you like the Roll and Write games, I think this might may, may be the best one in the genre. I think I would anyway, like to take a look at that. Anyway, back to you. I, no, no, I, I was going to say uh, two things. Well, firstly, well, three things, actually. There is a Dinosaur Island game from 1980. Wow. And it looks terrible. Um, <laughs> it looks like, um, I don't know, a snakes and ladders sort of game. That's not true. The board actually looks pretty good. I like it. I like the board. Uh, but the fact that the rules are printed on the inside of the lid... <laughs> it's... Well, games, games in the 80s were done that way. Wow. This might be the lowest reviewed game I think I've ever seen. It's, this is, um... it's, it's, it's trending at 2.8. Yeah. It's, um... That's really... Yeah, it, it looks like it is as bad as it looks. Uh, but I like actually I like the board. I think the board looks very good. And the cover looks fantastic. I love the cover of that box. So uh, I've never played it. I don't know what kind of shitty game it might be or not. But, uh, you know, that's how far back uh, Dinosaur Island goes. Uh, and about the uh, the write and draw kind of uh, role mm. kind of game, yeah. I, I quite like them. We played recently Doodle City by uh, TPA Games. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a great time. Um I really like it. So, uh, but yeah, um, you, can, you can see, I don't know if you can see that there, but um, that's cool. Uh, yeah, it, it's a very neat little situation. Uh, I, I like the fact that uh, that my, my lovely wife screwed up the dimensions of one thing and she had to change the map very quickly. But um, it is a simplistic version. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the way they designed it was very, very novel. And once you figure it out, it's a relatively easy game to play. Uh, if if I was to pick any one game, I would think I would still purchase the original. If you can get the totally liquid version, which was a Kickstarter one, that gives you a lot beefier components. There's a lot of cool plastic and a lot of dinosaurs. And barring that, I would probably go with the Raw and Right. I think Dinosaur World is a very very good game, and we have one, two, three expansions already that you can get. There's one that's got water dinosaurs, one that's an Ice Age, and then a hybrid which combines certain uh, types of dinosaurs together. Well, I like that with that roll and write, you actually end up with a dungeon that you can use in your role-playing games. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of, yeah, yeah, I never thought of it that way. But yeah, technically, uh, if you want, I always think if you wanted to do, no one's, ever, no one's ever done a really decent Jurassic Park role-playing game. But I think that you can definitely, um, you can definitely do that because it definitely gives you the capacity to, to create mm rooms with hallways and so forth yeah. and maybe you would have it. it's like okay in this room you find four megalosauruses <laughs> roll for initiative roll exactly. and you and you die exactly well that's as you should okay so uh back to me okay i have uh, been playing a fair number of games recently which i am very proud of because i haven't played board games for a very long time but now i'm kind of back in the mood so i want to i have three reviews of games i want to talk about because i have enjoyed all of them for different reasons and not all of them are great but some are so anyway i have tetrarchia which I have spoken about in Twitter quite a lot, and I'm going to keep doing it because I've loved it. Then I have Maze How, 
which you should be forgiven for pronouncing it Meisho because that's what it looks like. It's been written. Did uh, you see Troika? No, Troika, no, 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 no. Tetrarchia. Oh, oh Detroit. Okay. Thank you. Tetrarchia. And I've also played a Ninja Squad by Backspindle Games. Uh, Tetrarchia is by Draco Ideas, a Spanish um, publisher. And anybody who knows me will know that I am not particularly keen in talking about Spanish people or the things that Spanish people do. But the Draco Ideas and Eclipse are actually very good friends. And uh, I like them quite a lot. And they tend to come out with some very good and interesting games. Uh, they got in touch with me about Tetrarchia a little while ago and they said, oh, would you like to review it? And I said, mm -hmm. um, okay, yeah, because it's you. I said, look, it's a very difficult game. I thought, mm, yeah, you're not selling it very well. But anyway, send it. Uh, let's, let's find out for me. Uh, so what is Tetrarchia about? Tetrarchia is a solo or cooperative board game. It's a kind of a war game, really, that plays one to four people. And uh, the players take on the roles of four emperors. It's based on historical events that I cannot recall because I wasn't there. Uh, but you play the roles of four emperors who must defend the empire from the invading armies. Um and I'm just going to say, spoiler, oh my god, this game is so good. So, so goddamn good. And it is as good that this is, as it is hard to play, because it's very difficult to win. How does it play, you would be asking? Well, let me tell you. Um, every round, you are going to be able to spend six Imperium points, and those points are going to allow your Emperor to do certain things moving between provinces or moving between shorelines if you have the fleet you can also set up a, um, a little settlement in the provinces so the invaders cannot invade you easily enough you can get rid of an uprising or a, or a revolt and you can go into the borderline and set up a settlement there so the armies cannot get in through that side of the board. You win the game when you set six um, settlements in the borderlines, you know, outside the emperor, the empire. So you basically cut the entry points of the armies, and you lose the game if the invading barbarians reach Rome, or you mean the Germans. Uh, well, yes, they, uh, they could be, they, they indeed could be, if they reach Rome, uh, or if you run out of um, revolts to place on the board. Um, some people have said that the game plays a little bit too much like Pandemic, because at some point you need to roll your dice, and depending on where you roll the dice, the revolts will expand so right. adjacent provinces will get revolts and that is a very quick way of making sure you're never going to win the game it really is horrific when that happens but this game predates the first edition predates pandemic so no that well, is it's not there a copy go. it's not a copy at all of of pandemic um something else very interesting is that the game you can customize the level of difficulty. 
if you reduce the number of fleet that you can have access to at the beginning of the game, or increase the number of armies that start invading the empire at the beginning, or reduce the number of settlements that you as an emperor can place on the board, then things become tricky, really, really fast. It's a very challenging game because the way that it plays is that you play one of the emperors, then the invading armies go. Then you play an emperor, the invader army go. So by the time that you are going to act again, the invaders are played four times. That means that the army advances four times, that you get four chances of revolts or uprisings, and you get four times the chances of an explosion of revolts, which is really bad. I love it. I really, really enjoy the game. It's tiny. You can bring it pretty much anywhere. And as a solo, plays a lot better than as a co-op. Uh, because, you know, the rules will tell you, oh, if you play a co-op, play one player each, plays an emperor, and it's a bit... Yeah, but you never end up doing that. You're discussing your strategies and where you should go and what you should do. So it never is played just as, no, no, I played my emperor and that's it, you play yours. It doesn't play at all like that. So I think that solo, it shines. It really, really shines. And I hope everybody gets the game and plays it because it's fantastic. Well, you're saying the right, but it, it, it has a very small footprint for a board game like that. It's a very small... Uh, presence, table presence, which is great for, for travelers. Yes, I mean, the one thing I would say is that the board could do with being a little bit bigger because reading some of the names and finding out where you are, when you have an awful lot of armies and uprisings on, on the board, it becomes a little bit cumbersome. So it could do with being another five, you know, two or three inches, five centimeters uh, bigger on each side and make it a tiny, tiny bit larger. That, that would be very, very good. But um, yeah, as, as a traveling game, it's, it's just amazing, absolutely amazing. And it has so many different scenarios. Uh, the game comes with some expansions, so you can play with the barbarian armies, but also you can play with the goth army and with a pirate fleet. And each one of them is going to add a different mechanic or a different mechanism. And that adds an awful lot of replayability to the game, especially if you're going to play it alone. And then you get historical scenarios where you can start from a historical point and figure out what the emperors will be doing at the time trying to defend the empire. It really is remarkable that so much game is being packed in such a little box and it is so good. Well, it definitely looks fascinating. I can see that there there was a second edition that came out that has a slightly larger board, um, but there's not a lot of talk and mention about that. But I do see, uh, you know, some somebody mentioning about a, a, another edition. Yes, it's. Um, I think the one that they have just released now, you can get a neoprene board. It's a mat that you can play on, and also that has the you know all the spaces where you can keep your chits and your tokens and all your what have yous. 
and uh, that is worth getting but even if you don't trust me on this one if you like difficult war games this is one you should be putting right away in your shopping list for Christmas Right. Well, I, I noticed also looking at the reviews, it doesn't have a single review below five, which is really rare mm. for a game like that, especially with so many um, uh, scores. I mean, uh, the, 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 the irony of the fact that my game, which has not been released yet, has a one-star review <laughs> by somebody who hasn't played the game. So it's very hard to have a new game nowadays that doesn't have at least one, uh, one person posting a, a, a negative review just uh out of giggles and so forth. So this one's a bit of rarity, the fact that mm. um, the the lowest score is a five. And um, it says, I played one three-player game and didn't find the hook others speak of. Perhaps it's best as a solo game where you are figuring out all out and thus getting more of a payoff, which is exactly what you said. The game is much more enjoyable as... as and I've noticed that looking at the comments, it is uh, most people are complimenting it as a valuable solo game, mm. not necessarily as good if you're playing with a full player account. No, and I think the reason is that the all the emperors do exactly the same thing. So it's not as if you having your character and being able to act in your own time. Uh, like, for instance, if you play uh, Mansions of Madness, because each character does something slightly different, you look forward to your turn to play and you can try and combine your strategies. But here, because all you can do exactly the same thing, it doesn't add any variation to, to the gameplay, regardless of what emperor you play. And that is why I feel it's a solo. It really shines. But that doesn't mean it's not a good co-op game because you spend all the time deciding what you can do, how you could be doing so-and-so. So it is truly and genuinely enjoyable, regardless of how you play. But as a solo, 10 out of 10. It's fantastic. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So, next game I've been playing as well, it's called Maze How, it's designed by Lee Broderick, and it's been published by Dragon Dawn Productions. Now, Dragon Dawn, they're also very good friends of mine, and they usually publish very, very good games. Uh, you know, if you play Black Hat, is great, and they have one of my favorite, and if not my favorite, Dungeon Crawler in Abyssal Rift, uh, which is amazing absolutely amazing but maze how is a game for one or two players and so it's uh, maze how not may show correct okay and i feel it's important because i mean even i didn't know that no it's i i was corrected by lee by the way when i interviewed him because i am a muppet and uh, i i kept saying maze how so i may show may show may show it was a bit like mm. and then he said you know this is a place that actually exists I thought, oh, okay, um, that's interesting. And I'll, I'll read you the story because it's very good and I think it fits my voice. So, according to the Orkneyas, however it's pronounced, see, that's uh, Orkneyas saga, Jal Rockvald Kali Colson broke into the chamber tomb of Maysau in Orkney in AD 1150. In AD 1153, uh, Jar Harald Madsen and a group of his men sheltered there during a snowstorm. The sagas tell us that Rongvald found treasure there and the two of Harald's men went mad. When the Victorians opened the tomb in 1861, they found runic graffiti demonstrating that both of these episodes were based on real tomb breaks. 
This game combines the two events and casts you as Harold and Rockvald. Giles, Harold and Rockvald had landed in Orkney less than an hour ago, but the suddenness and ferocity of the snowstorm caught them by surprise. So anyway, there's another paragraph that I'm not going to read. Um, show is, uh, yeah, so it's a real place in yes. Orkney, Scotland. Yes, yes, it is. Which is it too bad I didn't is, get to see it. I didn't see that when I was in Scotland. Well, I've only been to Scotland to Edinburgh uh, twice, I think I have. I didn't go any further than that, unfortunately. So I missed it out. It's not as if I didn't have time. I lived in the UK for 17 years. So shame on me. So Yeah, Jesus Christ. Well, that's, that's <laughs> not okay. Like I said, I, 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 I was in Edinburgh for... I, was, I, I visited Edinburgh twice. I went to Glasgow, Sky. Uh, and a few other places in between Skye and Edinburgh. And I was going out with a girl who lived in there there at the time. And when I was staying at her Airbnb, she made a passing comment uh, about places to visit. And I was like, you know that there is a castle that's a, a five-minute drive from where I'm staying in the middle of Scotland? And she was just like, oh, I had no idea. And I'm like, there's a castle in your town and you've been living here for 15 years and you haven't seen it? I don't know. There was a, if there was a castle in my town, I think I would I would do that all the time. But yes, you know, for some reason, a lot of people who live in the UK don't travel as much as you, as I imagine that they should. Yeah, I am a churl. What can I say? Okay, so how does this game play? The objective of the game is, of course, to escape the tomb, and to do that, you need to dig uh, and get your your way out. Now that is going to be harder said than done you have a hand of five cards and every round you have to play a card and discard the card in whatever order you want now if you play the card you're going to have some effects and if you discard the card you're going to have another effect and each card is going to tell you what it does exactly uh, one thing to note is that one of the cards specifically the card eat is gruesome as in featuring a very gruesome image of somebody slaughtering a goose like opening the neck uh, with a knife i will show you so you can hopefully see it no you can't like that oh, wait. oh yeah. come on, okay camera. okay there you go oh yeah that's yeah that's so this game features well, accurate. well it is accurate but this game I have to say it features some animal cruelty which if is illustrative anyways not a photograph thank god um, but it can be quite upsetting for people who you know uh, are sensitive to these topics so beware when you do this so uh, depending on what cards you do you can either lose food lose health regain health or regain food and if at some point you get a combination of four different cards that are excavate passage you excavate one of the stones necessary to get out of the tomb depending on how many stones you start the game with the game is harder or easier so um, it's a very simple game play a card discard the card good thing you will learn to play the game in five minutes and the game with the base set of cards it will last about 20 minutes uh, there is going to be a how to play and a playthrough video in the channel fairly soon hopefully um, 
the bad thing, if you only play the base game, you will not want to play it more than twice. It's, it's too quick, there's no variation, and it really it just doesn't have an awful lot to offer. However, the box comes with a few expansions. Uh, in fact, 18 expansion cards. Now, what's, um, what's the good thing about this? That if you begin to mix the expansion cards, then the game becomes interesting because all the effects of the cards are going to make life a little bit harder which is exactly what you want in this game. And mixing more than two expansions in a game will make it probably a bit too hard and then it will not be all that exciting. But mixing what two expansions you add to the beginning of the game, that works. That works very, very well indeed. The game is a co-op two-people game. I haven't tried it. As a co-op two-people game, but as a solo game, yeah, um, actually, I quite enjoy it. It's um, it's it is pretty good. I have to choose. I would probably take the Troika with me, but as a solo game, or you know, this is highly recommended. So uh, my question for you, and because uh, you you brought up two, I, I was talking entirely with uh, the competitive dinosaur games, and you brought up two cooperative games. I, I have a lot of passionate views uh, for another episode regarding my opinions on cooperative games. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of cooperative games, but I find the people who design them are incredibly short-sighted about the potential enjoyment factor. Like, I think they're too obsessed with the kind of quoting dinosaur you know a dinosaur movie that they they fought they 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 worked so hard to see if they could they didn't stop to think if they should because i think so many (laughs) cooperative games are like well you designed it it's just too bad it's not fun how and my issue with so many of them is the fact that they are uh, they're too difficult and when you have a cooperative game that's too difficult the success the factors of success or failure become more dependent on the random number generators so how difficult would you say are these two games uh the truck is very difficult as in as in really hard i mean I've, I've won the game a number of times but every single time it's been on the brink as in you know either the army would be very very close to rome already or i would be very close of running out of tokens to put on the board which would also mean i, I lose the game uh with uh, maze how is something very similar but again i was playing solo um you know it 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 really can be very very tricky the track i have played in co-op mode and we enjoyed it, but because we enjoyed the discussion of uh, the strategies and the tactics that we were going to perform, not necessarily because the game has anything to offer uh, from the core point of view that would make it enjoyable to play per se. Um, it's just because we enjoy the company of the other players. Would you say you've won more games or lost more games? Lost more games. Yeah? yeah. Would you say do you have a percentage? Is it an 80 Ooh. 20 loss to no, win? No, no, no. No, no, I would say it's 60 40 perhaps. I haven't really made any, you know, accurate measurements. But I would say 60 40 perhaps. 
Okay. I think I've played the game about well, 15 or 20 times already. And I'm, yeah, I must have won eight or nine of those. Okay. Uh, just on a quick side, I, I, I decided to look up Orkney because obviously this game is very much based off of this real artifact in a real location. And I realized, uh, I know why I never visited Orkney in my travels to Scotland. Very far away north. It is very far away north, <laughs> and the average rainfall per month never drops below 48 millimeters. Yeah. So, yeah, with the with the high uh, being, uh, what is it, the high being in October when they get 126 millimeters of rain. It doesn't. It doesn't get terribly cold. It never drops below negative seven, which is kind of surprising for being that far north. Uh, but obviously, the the benefit from continental weather. But I'm looking at the amount of rainfall: forty inches of rain per year, and I'm like, oh yeah, screw that. Indeed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Last game I have played is called Ninja Squad. Uh, Ninja Squad. Yes. And you're gonna like this. It is da 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 a co-op game that then becomes a competitive game. Okay. Ah. Right. You're going to have to you're going to have to explain yes. this and justify it cuz I am generally not a fan of when games mix co-op and competitive. So well, please. Well. Please. Well, I think you're in for a treat. Uh, this game's been designed by Young Yegorov or Yegorov. I don't know how to pronounce your surname. Sorry about that. And it was published by Backspindle Game in 2018. It's a uh, two to four players. In place, it says here on the board game geek in 40, sorry, 20 to 45 minutes. Bullshit. It plays in considerably longer than that. I'm sorry to say. Age is 10 plus. That I agree with. So what is the game about? You are going to become ninjas and the board is made by several tiles that represent the house of a, you know, shogun lord, this, uh, this, this person that we need to get rid of because they are very, very evil, really, really bad people. And our ninjas are very righteous and we want to get rid of them. So the board is the garden that you have to race uh, through in order to get to the house of the shogun person and destroy them. Now, there are going to be some guards and there are going to be some lanterns on the way. And the first half of the game is all about getting to this man's or person's house and destroy them. So in order to do that, you need to help each other to avoid the guards. If you end your turn on the floor, you alert the guards. If you end your turn by a lantern, you alert the guards. So you have to end on a roof. Every round, you're going to be able to move your ninja depending on the movement allowed by a card. You have a deck of 12 cards. Every round is six movements. When all the players have finished their movements, then the guards go. And you're going to have, at the beginning of the round, you draw a card, and then you draw a second card. And you have to choose which one of the two cards you want to use to move. Uh, think about it as a, a Tetris-style movement, where you okay. may, be, may be able to move three tiles in a row, or one to the left and three forward or 
moving zigzaggedly and then you keep the card that you have used to move and you discard the other card. If you land on a lantern, you keep that lantern, you switch it off, but you, you, you keep it. And that is going to add alarm points. If you get to 25 alarm points, that's it. You've, you've lost the game because the whole guard has been called and you lose. If you get, however, to the Shogun's house and kill him, you turn the board upside down, you replace the guards, and then you have to escape. And that is when the game becomes competitive. And that is when the game becomes truly good fun. Getting to the house uh, co cooperatively, it's all right, but there really isn't that much to cooperate with. You know, you can give each other a few items here and there, uh, but there isn't really that much cooperation. In fact, when we played it last week at, at work, um, we were playing by ourselves, you know, and we weren't really playing co-op. We just running with our ninjas all over the place and uh, we all got there it was absolutely fine we didn't need to help each other but we laughed when we were messing each other uh, adding caltrops so we would be delaying the other ninjas or uh, using our hooks to swap each other's place from one place to another or dragging our um of the other players' characters so they would fall in the path of a guard. That made the game really, really good fun. We absolutely love that, that part. So mixed feelings about this one. It is fun. I think it's very interesting. It's super cute. I think really cute minis. But the second part is definitely a lot more enjoyable than the first part. That definitely makes the game worth playing. Oh, that's fascinating. It's, it's interesting because, like I said, I've, I've I've played a few games where there are the game is kind of in different phases, where it goes for you know you play a you play a one certain game and then it switches and becomes a different type of game. Uh, Mysterium is a good example mm -hmm. where Mysterium has seemingly two different games that are tied to each other, uh, and then uh, a game called. Um, Re something. Oh God, drawing a blank. It literally is two games slapped together, and the, the the stuff that the components you build in the beginning of the game are all the stuff you have at the end uh, in in the second half of the game. So it's a very interesting uh, aspect. But I've never seen one that, which combined a cooperative and a competitive mode as, as in two different phases. Because most of the time in a semi cooperative, it's competitive co op at the same time, which mm -hmm. I always generally doesn't seem to work. But in this one's very interesting. You mentioned because it starts off a cooperative and then switches modes and becomes a competitive game. Yes, uh, th that's what I that's what I liked uh, about it as well because it really changes the mood of the game completely, and if, if it kind of makes sense in, from the theme point of view because um, you have already got rid of your enemy, and the idea is that the first one to get out is the one who's going to get all the merit for being the first to do it uh, by the other members of the um, ninja clan. So um, it, it just 
It's just fun. It's just a good, fun uh, little game. It has an expansion that I haven't tried yet, uh, but it, it is recommended. If, if you want a, you know, Soda Pop Minis, uh, cute ninjas, and you want to play this with kids, it's fun. It's, it's a nice racing game. Yeah, and looking at the uh, review scores on the aggregate, uh, there aren't there are a few people who have posted negative reviews, but they're all in German, so I have no idea what they're saying. Uh, and, but and literally, there isn't there isn't any other comments. Like uh, the 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 lowest comment is at a um, five star, uh, which is a five which is a five out of ten review. That's the lowest review that I could read, and it says it looks like a good game, but not interested in co ops. So why, what? What kind buy of review it? is that? Like, <laughs> no, it, but it's a, it looks like a good game, but not interested in co-ops. Which that tells me that he posted a five review, even though he probably has never played the game. So I'm like, why are you commenting on a game that you have no interest in playing and you haven't played? It's kind of, it's, it's 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 almost like, um, you know, you it's, it's it's like whistling at a passing woman. Like yeah, that that's not that nothing's being accomplished. Well, I don't know, but I mean, people write some nonsense from time to time, like, you know, more fun with house rules. What? What is that even supposed to mean? So anyway, that's, um, that's, oh, yeah, there is a, oh, yeah, there is a German one that I can understand either. That's a shame. Okay, well, never mind. Okay, so those are my games. Um... And uh, people, send us your questions about those games if you would like to hear more. And soon, very soon, I am going to be able to review the Dune game from Ignace because I have received my copy. You got it? I have it. Oh, I haven't got mine yet. Well, you, I'm, I'm sure you will, but I have got mine and I am really excited to open it. So um, I'm, I'm hoping to get some time to bring it to the table. Maybe this Friday I'm played solo because my work colleagues are not going to be around to play with me, the bastards. <laughs> I, I, I made a point of translating that German review. Uh, movement patterns are shown on the cards, which your ninja can be moved. If the ninja hats in a light field or even on a guard, there are penalties. As soon as all players reach the temple field, the, the first half of the game ends and the escape continues on the reverse side, which is basically played the same way, except now the players now play against each other. The game is trickling away if you are unlucky to draw two movement cards of the same kind and you have no choice as to how to run. That is just bad luck and the player cannot do anything other than walk straight ahead into the guard. No, I really didn't like this game. It's a shame, actually. That was that was the the lowest review that was written out. Okay, well, well, at least he's you know being honest about you know this is how it plays and I didn't like it. Well, fair enough. Um, you yeah, it's a, it's a more eloquent than I don't like co-ops. Exactly, or it's more fun with you know house rules. <laughs> so anyway, that's all I have for today. All right then. So. I, 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 I say so because so, the interesting thing is we, we've been playing these dinosaur games. So that was, those are my reviews. Although uh, we are trying to chew through a very high profile game by Lucky Duck called um, uh, Kingdom Rush Rift in Time based off of the app. So this is the situation where the app came first. Uh, I'll leave that for the next, uh, next episode uh, because right now as it stands, uh, this game blows. 
which is a very unfortunate because it's a very high profile game that made a lot of money on Kickstarter. It's Lucky Duck who did Chronicles of Crime. And we've played the game twice so far, and we want to play it a couple more times. But right now, that game blows. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. (laughs) But I will go into details once I feel I have a more confident review on why this game blows. But in a a quick sum, right now, we were talking earlier, the the underlying issues is is an intractable manual. And hearkening what I mentioned earlier when I asked you the question, a unflinchingly difficult learning curve and a difficult cooperative game which means it's one of those situations where the first mission is the hardest one to get through because you don't fully understand the strategy and the game itself is brutally difficult so as a result um there's a lot of finicky rules Uh, but yeah so far i'm not we're not i'm not enjoying the experience but we're going to play at least once or twice more before i sign off on it and there's maybe a situation where you might have to homebrew it to make it fun, which is unfortunately not the first time I've had to do that to a cooperative game, uh, which is once again, it's something for another subject. Yes, indeed. Um, also, by the way, I played Burger Bros. I know that one. Uh, we found it way too hard. It also is new. Like I said, <laughs> there's going to be a point where I'm going to go on a very hefty uh, rant uh about the underlying flaw with that systemic throughout almost every game designer where they have this weird obsession of making games too difficult and as someone who's been designing games for a quarter or half his life i'm getting increasingly annoyed that they're missing out on the core tenets on on making a game fun okay they seemed they seem to have not gotten it, which is weird because the video game industry only got the hint of this only about 10 or some years ago. Uh, but the board game industry, which is younger, probably has a few more years before uh, an, an economist or a financial advisor goes to them and goes, I know how to make more money. Don't make, <laughs> don't gatekeep your freaking games. There's so much gatekeeping in, in cooperative board gaming. It's very, very distressing. Well, that is something we will talk about at some point. Maybe we can have somebody, you know, as a guest who designs co-op board games and see what happens. Uh, it would be good to have their opinion. So, but uh, <laughs> am I going to piss those people off? Maybe, uh, but that's fine. You know, they can live with that. Um, we can live with that. So we'll see. <laughs> anyway, um, well, I'll talk to you soon. Yes, thank you, sir. Thank you for listening. It is truly wonderful to have you there and genuinely appreciate it. The GMS Magazine podcast is produced by Paco Garcia with assistance from Chris Diaz and Martin Reed and the amazing bunch of listeners all over the world. The theme tune is by Kev Atzat. Please let me know what you think about the podcast by emailing me at podcast.gmsmagazine.com or on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at GMS Magazine and at DSX Machina. But until the next time, game on. <laughs>